Uh, Father, we thank you that we can gather in your name. Father, we thank you for your words. Lord, we thank you that your words are the words of eternal life. Father, in your mercy, please give us ears, ears to hear your words to us today. Lord, please, in your mercy, would you give us hearts to understand your word so that we would live lives that bring you honour and glory. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Sometimes life doesn't work out the way you think it was going to. Some of us have had a vision of life and as life has progressed, that vision may, may not have come to pass. I remember one time at church many years ago when a dear friend just opened up his life with me. He expressed how he and his wife had all these expectations of what their lives would look like, the types of jobs that they would have, the amount of money that they would be earning with every single one of those expectations unmet. And the disappointment they faced as individuals as well as a couple, gnawed at them every day. When life isn't going so well, what do you have to look forward to? So today, Jesus encourages us to look forward and to look up and focus on his kingdom, even in trying circumstances. And so the way we will structure today's talk is we'll first look at the cultural context of the first century, then second, uh, we'll look at the three parables themselves, and then finally, we'll think about how these parables apply to us today. So before we get stuck into the text of the three parables, allow me to paint a picture of first century Israel. Survival wasn't guaranteed uh, if, you were non, if you were a non-elite in the first century like it is in Australia, non-elites had to earn their living through hard work, uh, uh, hard work uh, for wealthy land owners. There was no government help for those doing it tough, no Centrelink, no youth allowance, no toll subsidies, nothing. There were no trade unions that workers could belong to, nor could they organise a meeting with their local MP. They paid high taxes on what they earned and they lived day to day in rural areas. So their survival depended on the crops that they maintained as there was a constant danger of starvation. No hard work, no food. And it was a bread-heavy diet So growing wheat was essential for survival in the first century. And so the audiences that Jesus spoke to in these parables, they probably would have been rural farmers. And so they could at least connect in some way with Jesus in Matthew 13. And in these parables, Jesus gives us a glimpse into his kingdom we get particular aspects of his long-awaited kingdom. And it's given in hidden language. Uh, And what is hidden about God's kingdom is slowly being revealed through Jesus. And so, 
let's start with the uh, parables, the three parables. First one, wheat and the weeds in your outline, wheat and weeds. And we see this in verses 24 to 30 with Jesus giving an explanation of this parable later on in verses 36 to 43. And Jesus is illustrating what God's kingdom is like. And here he's using an agricultural analogy of an ordinary man who sows seed in his field. The seed is something good that is being sown as it is profitable for the health and survival of the people. Uh, As I uh, mentioned uh, just a moment ago, the first century diet was based on bread. Bread was vital for survival in the first century. So you need wheat. Now, while we in 21st Western society, we see wheat or gluten and we think, ah, calories, right? Or we think, ah, bloated because, you know, you have a gluten intolerance, right? But it was food for survival. It was food for survival. I mean, individually in the West, we could eat anywhere between five to a hundred kilos of meat in one year. See, there was no standard meat and three veg every day in first century Israel. It was a a diet of bread with wine and olive oil, maybe with some fruits and vegetables and other food products. Wheat is the staple food item which was there to ensure the survival of people. Uh, Then in the parable we meet an enemy who operates when people are at the most vulnerable, at night and when asleep. This enemy is the great disruptor, uh, always seeking to destroy and take as many people down with them as possible. This enemy works against the good of the master of the field, trespassing on his field to sow weeds amongst the master's wheat. Now let me just say, you would have to be the worst person in the world to sow something you cannot eat to do something that would promote ill health and to ensure that the threat of starvation is ever closer by sowing weeds in a field of wheat. Now, uh, when we think of weeds, we think of something like this. So the first slide up on screen. Coming up. Oh, there we go. Yep, that's what we're at. Now, we, when we think of weeds, we think of this up on screen. And you might be thinking, does Jesus actually know what he's talking about when he's talking about weeds? Does he not know what weeds look like? What's going on? What's going on? Well, the weeds in uh, Matthew 13 uh, resemble sown wheat. And this weed is called darnel weed or zizanium. So that's the next slide. Up, yep. And it looks uh, similar to wheat until it finally sprouts. Next slide. Thank you. And and these weeds were harmful to humans. They could be fatal sometimes, and eating them, eating these weeds on the left, certainly caused nausea. This is no joke. This is no joke. This is life or death. Uh, Responding to this threat, the servants offered to exterminate the weeds by digging them up before they all sprout. 
but the master rejects this suggestion. Though it's the right motive, they may also harm the wheat. And so the master instructs them to allow everything to grow to maturity. Then the harvester will gather and separate the wheat from the weeds. And here we see two promises. Uh, First one, the weeds will be gathered and and burned, that is destroyed. Secondly, wheat will be gathered by the harvester, uh, sorry, wheat will be gathered by the harvester to be stored in the barn house. Jesus reveals what God's kingdom is like. And with the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus is providing us a glimpse of what will happen between now and at the end of the age. And Jesus spells out uh, these, what each element signifies um, after the disciples ask him to explain this parable in verses 36 to 43. The man sowing seed is Jesus, and the field is not the church, it's the world. It's the world. And we see this uh, in the Gospels as Jesus goes into towns and synagogues teaching about God and his kingdom, sowing the seed. And the seed, the sowing that Jesus is doing is invitational. He's constantly inviting people to turn to the Lord. The wheat are those who belong to the kingdom of God. And they are the people of the kingdom showing that they belong to him. They belong to God. They belong to his kingdom. The enemy is the devil. Uh, The weeds are the people of the devil. And like their master, they uh, they do all they can to work against the plan and purposes of God. Enemies of God work in secret and work when we are at our most vulnerable using deception and half-truths. They are trying to disrupt the plans and purposes of God. And in this world, there's a clear division, isn't there? Those, those with God and those against him. And then those against God can either be passively against him or actively against him. But either way, they're against him, yeah? The master, God, determines the time and the place for the harvest. The reality that Jesus fleshes out here is an accurate reality of living in a broken world. And so don't be surprised when evil people try to disrupt the plans and purposes of God. When people work against you, when people prevent you from sharing Jesus, when people make many allegations against you, remember, judgment is coming as you suffer hardship for his sake. Because God will put everything right in the end. He will separate the wheat from the weeds. And this coming judgment is unstoppable. It is redeeming for those who are with the Lord and condemning for those who reject him. And so we look forward and we look up to God's coming kingdom. Now we move on to another aspect of God's kingdom 
uh, we get another glimpse of, uh, of, of the kingdom of heaven using the image of the mustard seed as it grows into a magnificent tree. And we see this in verses 31 to 32. So mustard seeds are small in their infancy. Uh, This image would have been familiar to a first century audience. We know that there are uh, things smaller than mustard seeds thanks to technology. But I think the, the parable still holds. It's a picture of something small at the beginning of their life stage, then as growth takes place, becomes huge. It grows from insignificance to something significant, from mustard seed to mustard tree. It's a picture of shelter, of safety and of peace. It's a picture where God's creation can rest and find shelter that eventually comes at the end in all its glory and splendour. So don't be fooled into thinking that what you do in the name of Jesus is futile. Don't be fooled. You might feel, feel that you, your, your sharing of Jesus with your friend is useless because it's just going nowhere. You might feel that trying to reach your neighbours, it, it, it seems futile. You might feel that your, your efforts are futile because you're the only Christian at work. And they don't want a bar of Jesus. You might, you might be continually praying for that family member that they might come to trust in Jesus. And yet the Lord does not answer your prayer according to what you desire at that moment. These things are not futile. They are not futile. Even while being small and unimportant in the things that we do, we don't see the results right now. But the kingdom of God is unstoppable in growth and we will see it in all its glory and splendour in the end. So we look forward to the future as we look to see God's kingdom come and we look up to see God's magnificent kingdom. The third, the third and final glimpse of the kingdom of heaven is through the image of the tasty loaf. And we see this in verse 33. And it's a short sentence about the ingredient of yeast in a, in a batch of dough. And it shows us another aspect of God's kingdom. A small amount of yeast and, uh, uh, and flour were combined, needed to allow for the rising of bread, a tiny amount is all that's needed to enable growth. And as it grows and baked, this bread can feed more people because of its growth. The gospel is a simple message. It's good news. And it can be summarised in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ died for sins, once for all. The righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus 
dying for us happened 2,000 years ago, yet it is this one act that affects lives from the time of Jesus until today. It changes lives regardless of nationality or gender. It has shaped and influenced nations. And as a society, as a Western society, we are the fruits of the gospel. We live the fruits of the gospel today. And the gospel, as it advances God's kingdom, is like yeast. Though tiny and small, can do the impossible and take over kingdoms. And so we might look at the Open Doors Persecution Index up on screen. Thank you. Who might see that top ten list and think, how can God work in those countries? How can the gospel go into those countries? It seems impossible, doesn't it? It seems impossible. And yet the parable of the yeast shows us otherwise. The gospel is small. It might not look like anything is happening. It might look like that the gospel is utterly powerless. But like yeast through a batch of dough. God's kingdom will do the unthinkable. It will get into places around the world that seemed unreachable and thrive and grow. And nothing will stop God's kingdom from growing. And so we look forward and we look up to God's ever-growing kingdom from this simple, plain gospel. Earlier I asked, what do you look forward to when life isn't going so well? Let me outline three realities of God and his work in the world and then let me encourage you after that. First, sharing God's good news and his kingdom with others is always going to be hard. It's always going to be hard. It's hard because we live in a world drenched in sin and rebellion against God. And you may experience all sorts of hardship for the sake of God's kingdom. But his kingdom will be glorious in the end. And so don't be surprised that as you continue to live for him, it's hard work. Don't be surprised when it's disrupted by the distraction of some sort of weird teaching from outside or within. Don't be surprised when Christians seem like a drop in a bucket where, you're, where you work because you're the only one. Don't be surprised when the people you love continue to reject him. Don't be surprised when people choose status, wealth or power over Jesus. That is what Jesus is preparing for. For preparing us for here in these parables. Second, God's good news and his kingdom is going to bring opposition. You may suffer for the sake of God's kingdom, but his kingdom will be glorious in the end. You might have people in your face accusing you of all sorts of things as you work for the sake of God's kingdom. Even people who claim Jesus as their king and yet want glory for themselves. People who you think should know better. 
but God's kingdom will be glorious in the end. Third, God's good news and his kingdom might be unimpressive in this age. No one's going to roll out the red carpet for you. No one. But remember the words of Jesus at this point. Remember what he is teaching every single one of us as we contribute to to sharing Jesus with others. Remember, remember how the story ends. Fierce judgment, magnificent tree. Remember that God is at work in hidden power and that power is unstoppable. God is still at work as we make mistakes in this life. God is still at work while we serve him. God is still at work even when people oppose the gospel that you share, speak and live by. Because God is faithful. God is faithful. He will continue to do his work. And when you don't think he's able to do his work in the world, I, I want to suggest, make this one suggestion. When you're really discouraged, let me make this one suggestion. Look at the work of God in your life and praise him for his work in you. And maybe, and, and as well, and on top of this, as you gather as God's people, look around. Marvel at God's work in his people. And look up and praise God for this. Because if you trust in Jesus, you are the fruit of God's work in you. If you trust in Jesus, you are the success story of God's work in your life. So I look at each and every one of you and I see God's mighty power. I look up and I praise him for his work in you and in the world. See, every time you say no to the world and yes to Jesus, that's a win. That is a win. Every time you choose not to live for comfort and choose to live for Jesus and all the goodness he brings, that's a win. Every time you choose to live God's way, despite the temporary costs now, that's a win. Even when you struggle with the rigours of life, and you choose to persevere with Jesus and not give up on him, that's a win. Every time you fall into sin and you turn and repent to the Lord, that's a win. That's a win. And so we keep going. We keep going. We keep labouring as we look forward into the future and look up to his kingdom. Now, some of us here don't trust in Jesus. And the words from Jesus himself says that his kingdom is coming. And Jesus himself says that if you want to be part of his glorious kingdom, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow him. So if you don't trust in Jesus, will you look forward 
to an eternal future with the Lord and look up to his kingdom. Friends, let me close by praying. Father, we thank you for your glorious words and your glorious kingdom. Father, please, may we not be distracted by what's around us. May we continue to look forward and look up as we see your day coming and your kingdom coming. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.